It is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. This is the absolute best podcast about the Green Bay Packers, whether or not you watch the games or not. It's episode 26, and today we are talking about the Packers' 34-20 victory over the Atlanta Falcons at home. Game number one of the Joe Philbin era, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, I'm Mike Fleischman. I am in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm using the term Las Vegas, Nevada, literally, and the term beautiful sort of figuratively. Um, and over in the beautiful Loop Studios of Radio to Fall Sports, it's Matt Melamzetter. Hey, hey Matt. Mike, how you doing? Oh, I'm having a week. I'm here at the winter meetings, and uh, they they are uh, they are a bit taxing. It's it's taxing to be in convention mode where you're wearing ties and you're in a big room with a lot of like high ceilings and there's a lot of people looking to get that summer job that they've always wanted. And it's a, it's a tough environment to be in for 24 hours. I am on, I just finished day three of it. God, how many days do you have left? I have one more day. One more day. And then you fly out tomorrow and I'm flying out at 1130 tomorrow night. That lovely red eye flight back. Yeah. Yeah, I caught me a nice cheap red eye home, um, and I'm, I'm cramming everything into one bag. If uh, if carry on luggage was a drug, Spirit Airlines would sell it by the gram. <laughs> so I've got no, yeah, that's good. I've I've got one carry on bag, so I have to I have to leave with exactly as much stuff as I showed up with. And you've got to pack it as tightly as you did before you left. I've got to pack it as tightly as my wife mm, did. Now, see, now, difficult, <laughs> difficult. Yeah. yeah, there's a level of difficulty there. I basically just have to sit on the suitcase until it closes, <laughs> which is essentially what we did to get me out here with like, with like three days worth of nice clothing. Not that it's done me a lick of good, of course, but that's where we are. Um, disclaimer off the off the jump for all y'all listening to this podcast. I have not watched a moment of this game. I've been out here in work mode. I was on a flight when it happened. So I, I missed game one of the Joe Philbin era. And what a game and to miss. I know. I I have I feel like this is the game that we have been waiting for, not only as cheeseheads in Chicagoland, but as just Packers fans in general. This is the one we've been waiting for, for, I don't know, 10 weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. This was kind of the first time that, a lot of the stuff we've been clamoring for in a change uh, in the offense and everything kind of finally happened. Uh, what well, we saw a lot in this game, especially at the beginning of the game, the Packers were down a few offensive linemen, um, and it only got worse as the game went on. We actually saw Alex Light get some playing time uh, after McCray went out, um, who was already in backing up uh, Byron Bell. Uh, Lucas Patrick got some burn. It was a, a scary day on the on the offensive line, which meant that Aaron Rodgers was getting uh, chased down, pressured, and sacked a lot. But Joe Philbin countered that with a really good kind of quick rhythm offense that we have been calling for for a long time this year. Uh, and it was it was good to see. And it got Aaron Rodgers in a rhythm. It got the offense in a rhythm. And while it says 34-20, this game was not that close. This game was not a two-touchdown game. This game was 34-7 to heading into the fourth quarter. Um, and from about five minutes into the third quarter, the Green Bay Packers were running this timeout. Yeah, this was a garbage time game where the Atlanta Falcons came back and scored 13. Uh, I I feel like it's almost ironic that 
we got what we were asking for in a situation where it it took firing a 13-year head coach yeah. who has a Super Bowl win and one of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game on his roster. And it took firing him to get this team to respond and beat a bad opponent at home at Lambeau Field, which to me is, at least in the short term, it's got to be a referendum on what Mike McCarthy had let happen in his his locker room and his organization. I don't. I think it's really breathtaking the amount of the the depth to which this got bad yeah. this year to to see a coach with the pedigree that McCarthy has completely lose his team to the point where they can't beat the Cardinals at home with a Hall of Fame quarterback and a good running back and uh, albeit like a defense that's a work in progress, but they they failed to show up against the Arizona Cardinals with a playoff spot on the line last weekend, and then to come out and beat a better team than the Cardinals by a small margin in the Falcons, who are a team that very recently was good. I I think it's so strange to see exactly where Mike McCarthy ended up. And it's really a tragedy for a guy like me, who's, who's been a, a viewer of the McCarthy era. I mean, Mike McCarthy became the head coach when I was 25 years old and watching him all these 13 seasons, he put himself together a Holmgren-esque kind of legacy. And to watch it disintegrate the way it was this year, it was really shocking. It, you know, yeah, it really was. I mean, Mike McCarthy became the head coach when I was like nine. Uh, so it, it he, he's been around for as long as I can kind of remember Packers football. As he's like, your Holmgren. He's my Holmgren. He is, Mike McCarthy yeah. is the coach that, for as long as I can remember, I mean, I, I remember Sherman. I actually saw Sherman walking into Lambeau Field once, and I, I gave him a wave when I was a small boy. Um, cool. But, like, Mike McCarthy has been so synonymous with the sidelines of the Green Bay Packers for so long. Kind of to see him gone was a weird thing on Sunday. It didn't really feel like uh, the world that we're so used to watching every Sunday on Fox Sports. You know, it, it was it was like... Things were a little bit off, and the team played so much better for it. The team was, the team for the first time, really this season, looked prepared and ready to go, despite at this point in time, kind of probably being the most ravaged by injuries that they've been all year. The injuries played a played a part in returners as well as guys who are done. Mike Daniels, of course, is done for the year. Nick Perry has been shut down. But Bashad Breland came back and made an impact in this game, which is nice to see because Breland has a lot of motivation to play well in the closing of this season. It was great to see him back. And also Randall Cobb has a lot to play for right now. I don't think he's playing for a future in a Packers uniform, but he's absolutely playing for a, a another contract from somebody. And both those guys had an impact on this one. Yeah, I I, I think Bashad Breland's definitely playing for a, a spot in the Packers uniform next year, and I think he needs to be a priority uh, for Brian Gutkunst to bring back. I think he, Bashad Breland, we said it weeks ago when he was first signed. I uh, Bashad Breland is a huge free agent signing for the Green Bay Packers to get him for the veteran minimum for the rest of this year. With this year kind of fizzling out into nothing, I think they still have a slight chance at the playoffs, but it's basically non-existent. Um, it's one of those chances that has like three caveats when Fox puts up those absolutely yeah. graphics 
All right, I'm going to swear in this That's episode. Fine. Great, I have to edit my own work now. Uh, <laughs> I've had a beer, um, but they put up those graphics of like you know the uh, the if the, for the Packers need to make the playoffs, these three separate teams have to lose every single game and, by 22 points. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. I think our situation and is we're going to usher we're going to usher a cat into a room, <laughs> and there's two bowls of food, and if the cat picks the bowl of food on the left, then the Packers they have to pick playoffs. bowl A, and then the Green Bay Packers will go to the wild card round. But if the cat picks bowl B, then the NFL gets self destructed. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think our situation is now that either the Vikings or the Bears have to lose out. Okay. Um, and the Vikings could the lose Vikings out. Very well, could lose out. I think they have Miami, San Francisco, and uh, the Lions. Um, and so it's the situation of okay, that might happen, um, but uh, chances are low. But Bashad Breland, I mean, he signed a mm-hmm. three-year, twenty-four million dollar contract uh, in this offseason. He was somebody that I, I had at the top of the list for people the Packers need to get. Um, he was a quality cornerback in Washington for a few years. He was a fourth-round draft pick who worked his way into the starting lineup, into being their number one when Josh Norman left. And, you know, they, they've they just really, he's just looked good when he's been on the field. He's had some in- injury issues and took him a while to get up to speed. But in Miami, he had a game-changing interception. And here in this Falcons game, his his pick six jumping the route on the sideline uh, on Matt Ryan's throw was just it was it was a good piece of athleticism. It was a it showed that he has experience and smarts and he knows situationally when he can do. He knew he had backside coverage on that, so jumping the route wasn't gonna like leave them open for a touchdown. And he was quick enough to make it look like Matt Ryan intended that throw for him. Um, and uh, earlier today. Jair Alexander said that uh, Bashad Breland's got to come back. He wants him back. Um, they've made a connection, and Jair thinks he adds so much veteran presence to the locker room. And I, I, while I don't get to be in that locker room with him, I, I definitely agree. I think that Bashad Breland is a great number two opposite of Jair Alexander. He's somebody that's been a number one in the NFL before, was signed to be a number one in Carolina, and is good enough to be a number two behind a potential all-pro in Jair Alexander. I can make up a real good backside of a defense. If if you're a Packers GM right now or a Packers coach, there's there's an extent to which you're out you're absolutely listening to what Jair Alexander is telling you at the moment as well. Absolutely. Because I don't I don't know that the Packers have seen this kind of a performance from a rookie cornerback in in maybe ever. Yeah, no. No, absolutely maybe ever. I I mean Cornerback is such a difficult position to come into the NFL and succeed right away. I mean, what we're seeing with Josh Jackson, the second round pick, is a lot more typical of what we see. Mm-hmm. Look at Hughes for Minnesota. Look at Isaiah Oliver yesterday for or on Sunday, I guess, for Atlanta. It's 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 kind of a difficult thing for guys to come in and be successful right away at the cornerback position. There's a lot of small technique, the way that you explode with your hips, all of that kind of is difficult to get into the game right away. And we've seen Jair Alexander not only excel technically, but in like a football IQ way, knowing when plays are going to be called, recognizing what the play formation is, blowing them up in the backfield. He's a willing run defender. He's a willing tackler. He's a good tackler. Jair Alexander's been stellar as a rookie cornerback. 
I think that Jair Alexander is a nice transition to just running down this this game a little bit here because the opening drive for the Falcons had to be again like I'm a guy who did not watch this game yeah. and you know I'll put a quarter in the jar every time I sort of do this podcast pretending as though I've seen a minute yeah. of it but this this game had to start in a concerning way as the Falcons go seven plays 75 yards and go up seven and nothing and immediately this is a drive where the, the little bit of math I've done, Julio Jones, 63 of his yards and three of his receptions come on this drive. Julio Jones had a had a decent-looking stat line. Yeah. But when it comes to, like, where those stats came from, the vast majority of them came on drive number one where they go down and get a touchdown. And then after that, Jair Alexander sort of woke up and shut down I think one of the best receivers of the last decade, let alone like one of the best receivers this year in the NFL. Yeah, no, I, Julio Jones is a transcendent talent, I think pretty close to the level of Calvin Johnson. And Jair Alexander, for big chunks of this game, shut him down. And it, I mean, honestly, that first drive, uh, there was two catches by Julio Jones that weren't really catches. I mean, they were decided as t- catches and they add to the stat line, but Jair Alexander's coverage was stellar, and he, you know, on one of them he knocked the ball out, and on one of them Julio Jones's foot was just barely on the line. Debatable on the pixelation of that video, but it's a, a situation of Jair Alexander played maybe the best receiver in the NFL over the last decade, uh, tight and incredibly well. He made he gave Julio Jones fits all day long. The Packers immediately respond and this was this is something that of course you need and if you take a look at the drive chart which is what i'm doing in pretending that i've seen this yeah, game jamal williams got um, the start the f- no aaron jones on the first drive jamal williams gets the start and we just see a bunch of really short quick passes uh eq st brown for four yards rogers pass sh- short right to eq for eight yards rogers pass short middle to cobb for eight yards pass short right to Devontae adams for 21 yards um, run up the middle for Jamal Williams. It was a lot of short, uh, quick routes, trying to really take advantage of what Atlanta was giving them, but also trying to restrict the pass rush. Now, now look at this, Cheeseheads in Chicagoland listeners, as a way to use Jamal Williams in an offensive series. Three straight short right passes. Yeah, where he's where Jamal Williams completed. is functioning as an extra blocker in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Is he- and then all of a sudden, first and ten at the Atlanta thirty-four, and then um, does he go off the edge, no. folks? No, no, he goes up the Do we middle. Pitch it to the outside to Jamal Williams out of the shotgun. No, he goes right up the middle and powers through for nine yards. And and what we after five straight dropbacks by Rogers. Yeah, with Williams acting as a pass as a pass blocker, and that's change of pace, power run. That's exactly what it was. It's it's a great. <laughs> it's a great job of play calling to open up the game by Joe Philbin. I really, really, really liked the game that he called on Sunday. It's for his first time calling games in the NFL, uh, he did a pretty good job outside of those those two challenges right away, um, which I guess he was both right on, but crazy stuff. Um, so Devontae Adams gets the touchdown pass. Uh, Devontae Adams had a huge game in, in this one, and... It, it's a, it's a game that had more to it than just a good opening series the way Julio Jones did. I'm I'm just going to I have this this thought that 
all right, if you're Mike McCarthy and you're going to call all the plays and stand on the sidelines and appear confused as to how to use your actual personnel, why do you have an offensive coordinator Yeah, at that point? Because we were fired up about Philbin coming into this season, a guy who seems to have like a good grasp of how to run an offense. Why on earth, if you're bringing in a guy who's already been a head coach, who has a resume, who has a proven track record as a guy who designs an offense, why, what is it that makes you think, oh, I'm going to call the plays instead of this guy? Because this game, me putting up 34 points on the Falcons at home, that's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, using Jamal Williams as a power runner in a situation where you've got the defense spread out and already like going to the edges and protecting the short pass, that is, we had a long digression last week about like how the heck you should actually use your power back. Yeah. That's, that's how. Ex- that's exactly that's it. it. That's how you use a power back to the fullest of his potential. That's how you use a power back who knows how to pass block to his fullest potential is dr- run him up the middle. Use him in short passing situations where he can chip on the edge, where he can stay in the backfield and give Aaron Rodgers a little bit of extra time because the middle of the line was folding every play. It it was a really, really, really good job of personnel usage by Joe Philbin to start this game, and it just continued as the game went on. So for the Atlanta Falcons, this was this was an early in in their attempt to respond. They actually worked it all the way down to the Green Bay. Um, Green Bay 19 at third and eight, and Matt Ryan, a strip sack fumble, and it it ends up being pushing them all the way back to the 35 where Matt Ryan has to attempt and miss a 35-yard field goal. That's also nice to see because the, the strip sack fumble is a big play of the likes that we have not seen from this defense, and you know, if, if you're if you're me and you're looking at the defense going like, okay, there's a bunch of bunch of athletes and rookies and young guys getting a chance at this yeah. point. Like the way that you get big plays is to gamble. And the way that Mike Patton's defense is gonna work is that every once in a while he's gonna send a cornerback at you. And we have not seen the big plays, and I think that's been a question of of effort and which is what this this game turned on. Yeah is is the effort that is an effort plus play on the defense and it turns a third and eight at the 19 a chip shot field goal if not a first down first and goal into a 53 yard field goal and no point nothing's automatic at lambeau field in december so matt bryant missed his misses it and the game is still stuck at seven to seven after a good drive by atlanta early yeah and I think the return of Bashad Breeland uh, allows Mike Patton to sometimes bring pressure. I think over the last few weeks with Bashad Breeland out, with Kevin King back on IR, it really kind of hamstrung Mike Patton's play calling. It, it didn't allow him to then send Jair Alexander on those exotic blitzes because there was no one on the backside to help him out. There was nobody that they could trust in man coverage uh, to save their ass if the quarterback's able to get it out in time. With Bashad Breeland back, he can send Jair Alexander into the backfield to make plays like this. Jair Alexander can be in the backfield and be recovering that fumble and stopping Tevin Coleman after he picks it up. It's it. Bashad Breeland and quality cornerback play allows Mike Pettin to go 
uh, ballistic with those kind of blitzes and bring Josh Jones off of the edge, which we saw a little bit later, uh, and bring Josh Jackson on some pressure. It it, it, it opens up the playbook for Mike Pettin when Bashad Breeland's on the field. Uh, and it's part of why the Green Bay Packers were so effective in this game. So at this point, the game is still 7-7. Seven to seven. Off of the missed field goal, Green Bay goes 3-and-out. and out. Rodgers is sacked on a third down play. Trufant coming off, coming in from a blitz from the secondary gets gets it mm-hmm. there. This is this is a game that still has not turned into a blowout. The first quarter ends on the sack. J.K. Scott punts, and Atlanta immediately just can't respond. They go three and out, and Green Bay comes back right back, takes the lead on a field goal off of a nice forty-three yard drive. Mason Crosby hits a 50-yarder, which is... No gimme. I'm I'm just... Every time Mason Crosby hits a, a 45-plus-yard field goal in this season, I feel good because this has not been a good season for him. No, he's he's struggled at points this year. It's it's reminiscent of that season in, like, what? Like, 2012, where he was just atrocious. Um, but he's had strings where he's been really good in... Hitting any any long field goal like that in Lambeau is a, is a nice confidence booster. Uh, in this drive, and it's a it's a great counterpoint because this is the second consecutive drive for the Packers that ends in an Aaron Rodgers sack on a third down passing situation, yeah. and it's a counterpoint to the Falcons drive where Bryant misses the field goal after a strip sack that set up a long fifty three yarder. Meanwhile, Mason Crosby comes in after a sack and hits the 50-yarder. So another another special teams difference, and you and I have both talked about like the, the inherent firing of Ron Zook. Yep. But at least in this game, you're seeing a special teams player come out and make a plus play to put you in a in a good situation. I mean, remember, remember last week, the game that cost McCarthy his job could have gone into overtime. Yeah. Had special teams played better. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And there's a few plays on this drive that I wanted to highlight. Uh, number one, uh, Aaron Rodgers scrambled around on third down, on third and two for seven yards. Uh, throughout this game, Aaron Rodgers looked quick again. There's a few times where Aaron Rodgers hit the hit the edge, hit the outside. Teams Sometimes Falcons would bring pressure, and Aaron Rodgers would be able to escape the pocket and kind of take advantage of man coverage on the backside and run for 10 yards and look good doing it and it was it was good to see because he's looked slow this year um but this was kind of that first time there's also uh on second and nine at the green bay 41 aaron Rodgers throws a deep pass to Devonte adams uh for 22 yards over isaiah oliver uh aaron Rodgers immediately steps up to the line recognizes that Devonte adams is in man coverage with a rookie cornerback on him and uh isaiah oliver they did a good job highlighting it in the uh um in the pre- in the broadcast in the presentation that uh, in college at Colorado, Isaiah Oliver didn't really play much press man. He was, he's kind of a bigger body, but he played a lot of zone coverage. And he was lined up in press man with no backside help uh, over Devontae Adams. And Rodgers immediately, no hesitation, goes to Devontae Adams on an ISO deep route um, and just pinpoints a ball perfectly over Oliver's shoulder uh, for 22 yards. Uh, uh, Devontae Adams steps out of bounds. It was, a, it, was just, it was a great play that we really haven't seen all year. It was kind of... Not a back shoulder throw, but that kind of uh, anticipation floater that Aaron Rodgers has done so well 
uh, over the years that he's kind of just missed a few times this year. Uh, and it just it looked really good. Throughout this game, well, Aaron Rodgers about, looked really good. Yeah. The thing about Rodgers throwing deep, it's uh, it's it's he's impeccably good at it. It's one of his great strengths as a quarterback. But you see the deep throws being made effective by short throws. Mm-hmm. And and the thing about the NFL is that one thing makes the other thing work. You know, if 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 you're a power running team, the occasional play action deep strike is going to work. If you're an edge running team, the occasional power run up the middle or shovel pass, that sort of thing is going to work. If you're a if you are establishing a rhythm on short passes, both inside and outside slants, the deep ball is going to work. And for Aaron Rodgers, I think that I think a lot of his frustration this season is that he he would sometimes throw 10 passes in a quarter and all of them would be deep. There would be long stretches where he just wasn't seeing any completions. I mean, the Cardinals game started with three straight punt series. Like there's absolutely no way for Rodgers to get in a rhythm. And, you know, it's like we talked about, like the coaching staff isn't putting him in a position where he can play to his strengths or even, yeah, it doesn't matter if Rodgers is a first ballot Hall of Famer the way he is, or if he's you know Josh Allen, or if he's uh, Alex Smith, may God rest his soul, or, or if if he's uh, um, uh, if he's EJ Manuel, yeah. you know these guys play better if you if you get them some first downs and some completions and and sustained drives. Yeah, it's and. It, 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 that's how you you put them in, in position to win by letting them start to establish themselves on the field. Yeah, it's it's very similar to me of something that I was always told as a basketball player, which was if you need to score, don't start shooting threes. Attack the hoop. Get easy ones. Yep. Get some gimmies, and then the more difficult shots are going to start to fall. Get some gimmies, get some rhythm going, get some confidence flowing, and then everything's going to fall into See place. See it go in. See it go in. Make your free throws, get a layup, then start to work back and hit threes. And what we've really seen from this Green Bay Packers offense is a desire all season to hit these big shot plays. And the Packers are in the top five, top eight in the NFL for big-time plays, but there's not really any yardage being developed here there's no progress it's the whole game kind of builds up to one or two deep plays and what we saw in this game was the ability to sustain drives which is how you win games in NFL in the NFL not hitting uh you know a deep post to Devontae Adams for a 60-yard touchdown you win games by finding a way to get into the red zone and convert every single time you have the football and Field position is also so valuable in the NFL. Punting from your own 45 on a drive that got you a couple of first downs starting from the 25 and then stalled out is far more advantageous than punting from your own 12 yeah. after after three incomplete passes. After two incomplete passes and a sack. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also that. Yeah. Uh, so we still agree with the Packers kick a field goal there. Mason Crosby hits from 50. And the next possession... Atlanta Falcons get the ball uh, at the Atlanta 8 after a muffed uh, kick return. Um, slipped at the like w- Atlanta 1. Guy gets to about the 8 before getting tackled by Josh Jackson. 
Matt Ryan has a few completions uh, until he drops back on third and four, throws it to the right sideline on a kind of an out route, and Bashad Breeland jumps it and walks into the end zone for a touchdown. That gives the Green Bay Packers a 17-7 to lead, and that's when the game got out of hand for Atlanta. From this point on, this was not a game anymore. This game was over. Bashad Breeland sealed it in the second quarter. Uh, Atlanta would punt their next drive, and Green Bay would kick a field goal to end the half to go up by 13. And it was it was all over from there. It's so nice to see as well because this is a team that, I mean, every team that's going to win is going to need to do it with plus plays from their defense. Mm-hmm. And as much as we talk about the fact that the offense sort of just like put themselves into a refrigerator and closed the door in the last eight weeks of the season, you have not seen any takeaways from the defense. It's certainly not like aggressive takeaways or forced takeaways. There's been questionable effort. Of course, there's been a problem of, of guys like Eddie Pleasant guarding Larry Fitzgerald, yeah. which that'll Never going to work. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, but to see, but to see a home game against a team that very recently was a quality team. I, I don't have a read on exactly what's happened to Atlanta. Yeah. No. In the last year or so it's, it's gone wrong. Yeah. But you still to beat Atlanta in a, in any situation, you still need to make plays on that. And that's exactly what, what happened here. It's nice to see that kind of effort, and you know we've talked about Breland a little bit already, but for for a guy who you know th- there are so many guys on the Packers who need this this end of the season to determine what their career is. It's nice to see a guy come out in a situation where he comes on to a team already in the regular season, and by that point the writing has to be on the wall of like something has gone wrong already. So you're Bashad Breeland. You've had you've had probably the worst year of your career playing football. You've signed a big contract. You've had an injury. You found yourself on on waivers, I believe. But basically, you come into a team that you have no familiarity with, and that team's already sort of on fire. Yeah. And then and then you're not healthy. You can't see the field. And then the head coach a guy with a decade plus tenure in the NFL and a Super Bowl ring loses his job. At that point, to be able to come out after missing, um, was it three or four straight games and to make a plus play like that, that's that it's not even halftime and you've just sealed a victory for the Packers. That's huge. That's huge. That's it's huge. It really is. Um, and I, I, I think Bashad Breland has kind of talked about it a little bit. He's, he's, been grateful for the Packers to recognize it to give him an opportunity to play and I again he's played so well when he's been on the field outside of the Patriots game where he was just a little bit rusty Sean Breland's been stellar when he's been on the field and I I, I really hope that uh Coot Guns and the Green Bay Packers take full advantage of the 40 million dollars they're going to have in cap space next year to bring him back Patriots was game number one for Breland yep. right yep so he was just a little yeah we're gonna Throw yeah, it out. Who cares? Yeah, he was just a little bit slow and a little handsy. He got called for two holding penalties, I think. Um, so we start the second half with Green Bay gets the ball. They deferred uh, the kick. Uh, typical classic McCarthy move, classic Green Bay move. Philbin falls right in the footsteps of the former head coach. Uh, and 
Randall Cobb catches a touchdown pass, a 24-yard touchdown pass from the Atlanta 24, and this was another pinpoint flawless throw from Aaron Rodgers. Kind of reminded me a little bit of that uh, Philadelphia Eagles Monday night throw to Devontae Adams right through the defender's arms. Um, just kind of over the top of uh, whoever was guarding Randall Cobb, I forget. Um, over the top of their shoulder. Perfect perfect situation. Drops it in over their right shoulder into Randall Cobb's hands uh, for a touchdown. Another drive where we saw some good personnel usage. We see Aaron Jones off the right side. Um, Aaron Jones off the right end. It's not pounding Aaron Jones inside. It's using Aaron Jones to his strengths and letting him get outside into space and create. And while he wasn't always successful, what it was showing was that Philbin understands where these guys need to be put to succeed. When when you take a look at this this series, this is something where we've talked all season about the Packers putting up nothing in second halves. Yeah. They scored on their first two possessions. Yeah. of the second half, which is you know, they've already they've already done a good job and are up 20 to 7 going into halftime. They've let their defense make some plus plays, but coming out with a lead and then salting it away in the second half. That's another effort thing. And it's also a matter of you've already established that you can be successful in the first half. And all of a sudden in the second half, I, I really liked at least just on paper reading the way that, that Philbin used both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams in this game. Yeah. Jamal Williams did not have, I don't think he had more than two or three carries. I think maybe four at the most minimal. I'm, I'm in Vegas. So I'm yeah, a gambling man, but Jamal Williams, Malm Setter is such a gift to an offensive coordinator because he's a running back that can be effective even when he doesn't run the ball. Yeah, absolutely. He's and he finds a way to be helpful to an offense and be beneficial to an offense, even when he's not, the focus point of that offense. Even when he's not getting the ball and when he's not being successful as a ball carrier, Jamal Williams is going to find ways to be uh, a plus to your team. We saw him be used by Joe Philbin as a lead blocker a few times in this game, almost as a fullback, with him and Aaron Jones in the backfield with Jamal Williams leading the way, searching out guys, and laying the smack down for Jones to spring free. Jamal Williams is... Meanwhile, Aaron... Aaron Meanwhile, Aaron Jones, a guy who is going to, I don't know that he'll ever quite have the skill set to be a guy who's going to be really valuable to you when he's not touching the ball. Sure. But talk about a tandem. I mean, it's like yeah. it's like the sky parted. Yeah. And there's just a light shining down of like, here's two running backs. One of them needs carries to be effective. The other one doesn't. <laughs> here's Yeah, exactly. Like it, it was a, a that's light. Old Testament kind of stuff. <laughs> it's a light shining through in the 2016 draft saying, Here, use your fourth and fifth round draft picks on these two yeah. running backs. Yeah. Uh, They're very complimentary. Yeah. No, it's strangely a great combo in the backfield in Green Bay. Uh, and Jamal Williams, I think, deserves endless praise for what he does with the ball knocked in his hands. Um, so, yeah, Green Bay comes out in the second half and starts. Adds 14 points to the lead and consecutive touchdowns on their back-to-back drives. Puts that lead at 34-7. to uh, On the second drive, we saw um, a little bit more of the 
short passing. We saw it go to Aaron Aaron Jones on like a screenplay, uh, who ripped it for 15. We saw um, some Aaron Jones runs to the outside for 14 yards for two yards, um, and then a 29 yard touchdown rush, which I believe you said is the only play you've seen in full from this game. Yes, yeah. I was walking. I was wa- I had checked into my hotel room and I was walking from the lobby to my to my tower to take the elevator up and then I needed to get right to the job fair but there's of course every 10 feet there's a bar here of in course, Las yeah. Vegas so you have to of course you stop and, and get a, a coke and whiskey yes. every time and it really slows you down on the way to the yeah I, I stopped for one moment and I watched one play from scrimmage and it was the Aaron Jones 29 yard touchdown run happening in real time can you, can you imagine after, if you uh, watched more getting... games more plays from scrimmage Right, yeah. It, I this this is the game that I needed, and I didn't get to watch it. First <laughs> first Packers first Packers game of this season, including all four preseason games, and the first twelve regular season games, which which were sort of like watching a worm fall off a leaf twelve different times. But <laughs> like watching this a one, caterpillar. This one I have leaf. to miss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was great. Uh, so here's the deal. You're not allowed to watch like, any more games yeah. ever. <laughs> it's like watching a panda fall out of a tree in slow motion. It's like kind of appealing and kind of endearing, but I'm also like, God, that sucks. That really sucks. Yeah, that's bad. And I wish you just didn't <laughs> fall out of the tree. I wish you kept it's climbing. supposed to be happening here. <laughs> uh, so uh, after that Aaron Jones 29-yard rush, which you saw in a wonderful uh, Las Vegas bar, uh, the Falcons punted after Falcons went had like six plays punted. Um, didn't look good. The defense was stifling. Uh, Green Bay gets the ball. Answers with another punt. Uh, worth noting that uh, Jair Alexander tried to return punts for the Packers in this game. Muffed two of them and was switched for Randall Cobb. Uh, kind of one of the highlights of Jair's sure. game in at Louisville in college was that he was an electrifying punt returner. And we'd seen it a little bit this year. He's been used in spots, uh, but just had a rough day here in a, a December day in Lambeau. Yeah. I saw a good one last week. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, maybe returning punts in December in Lambeau in inclement weather, something that can be left to Randall Cobb, somebody with a lot of experience doing that and not somebody who played college in uh, Kentucky. We did also see Jamon Moore returning kickoff. Yeah. In this game, he had a good one in the first in the first half. That is that is a nice sight to see. I, it's one of the things I asked for. Like, let's see a little bit of Jamon Moore. Yeah, because he is he is bigger than the other Packers rookie wide receivers, and in stature, I think he very in, in yeah yeah he's he's big he's big he's muscular he's also fast. Um, very much like Michael Clark, who at the end of last season decided to retire. Yeah has that same frame where you look at him and go like, if he ever becomes like an NFL football player, as far as skill level, he's certainly got the body for it. So finding a place for him to contribute as a rookie is also just a good piece of personality. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's, again, it's, it's get those layups, build that confidence. Jamon Moore. See it go in. See it go in. Jamon Moore having a good kick return is a step forward for him. He hasn't really had any plus plays at the NFL level. He had one screen pass no. a few weeks ago, which he 
kind of turn for about eight yards gain, and that's about all he's had. And this is somebody who, coming out of uh, Mizzou in in college, I believe, um, was somebody that looks really good in his routes. He runs solid, quick routes. He had good hands. We saw him struggle a little bit in preseason as well as in training camp and kind of lose his ground that he picked up over MVS and EQ. And just getting him worked in is good. I think we're going to see him a little bit more, especially as these games start to mean nothing. Um, at least I would hope we see more of him as these games mean nothing. Because um, EQ and MVS have looked good, but I think it's I think it's definitely worth a chance. A sh- I, I think it's definitely worth giving Jamon Moore one shot in his rookie year. I, I think he has a lot of intangibles that remind me of Devontae Adams. He has quick feet. He has uh, drop issues as a young NFL receiver, but the quick feet and the route running are what highlights what pop out to me. Uh, hands can be fixed. Hands come in due time. Route running and uh, that kind of intelligence on the football field is something that is great to have as a rookie and I think bodes well for future success. I'm excited to see Jamon Moore get a little bit more burn. Now, the Atlanta Falcons, next drive, they're down 34-7. to They need an answer. It's the, fourth, it's the third quarter. There's 2 minutes and 47 seconds left. At this point in time, the Green Bay Packers are just trying to run this game out. Um, Atlanta goes 11 plays, 68 yards, scores a touchdown on a Julio Jones pass from Matt Ryan. Um, I don't really remember seeing anything notable in this on this drive. Um, next drive, the Packers punt. Uh, Packers go like six plays. J.K. Scott punts 57 yards to the Atlanta 25 from the Green Bay 18. Um this was a game, this was a drive that had two consecutive penalties on third and third and six. Yeah, you're right. Third and six, Jimmy Graham commits that offensive pass interference penalty. That was it. And then third and sixteen, Aaron Jones falls starts. Yeah. The, so third, third, it becomes third and twenty one. I mean, the good thing that you can say about this drive is that even though it went three plays and, and took uh, went negative seven yards, it took almost three minutes off the clock. Yep. And at that point, you're still up by 20. So taking three minutes off the clock is is a perfectly good thing for a drive to do at that point. Yeah, and this drive should have continued on this uh, Jimmy Graham offensive pass interference call. Uh, in the broadcast, I very I remember very clearly me being like, "That's a dumb call," and then them bringing on the head of officiating who was like, "Yeah, no, that's a terrible call." Uh, Jimmy Graham. <laughs> Jimmy Graham made contact with the cornerback. Uh, like four yards outside of the line of scrimmage, so still within the five-yard thing. Um, but there was no extension of the arm. There was no – it wasn't a pick play. It was just the guy got in his way, and Jimmy Graham kind of shimmied around him and made contact uh, and made the catch up the seam. What it was to me, I think, a bad call, but a good spot usage of Jimmy Graham. It was a kind of like a sure. – it was, yeah, absolutely. it was kind of like an angle route from the tight end position where he started to kind of work uh, up the seam, but angling to the outside, and then cut back to get a little bit of leverage on his on the uh, safety or whoever was covering him. I forget. It wasn't Desmond Trafant, but it was somebody. I don't know. Um, and it, I have, I have a, I have a prediction here. We're already like running to the point where this pro, this this uh, this particular podcast is not going to have a break in the middle where I play that 
that cool beat yeah. that I really like. Sure. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna digress at this point. I'm gonna make like a cheeseheads in Chicagoland prediction that I think the next rule change we're gonna see is that the the offensive pass interference, the pick play is going to get further legalized. Interesting. One because it gets enforced very, very selectively. Yeah. And therefore like makes people angry when it happens. And two, it distracts from scoring, which is what the NFL likes. Yeah. And I I at least I would my guess is that if it if it's not taken away altogether, it's at least going to be maybe extended to a ten yard cushion mm-hmm. in which you can you can set picks and it's one of those rules that like doesn't have a lot of like logical grounding when you think of it. Like, why can't you set picks? Yeah. Like you can block, you can block. Yeah. Why can't you block? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my cheese heads in Chicagoland prediction as to another rule that's coming because uh, the NFL has both a, a, has a, as deep financial interest in, in more points being scored which I, I generally criticize the NFL for having financial interests at all because that's who I am. But I like points too. Like what points. can I say? I like points that I like. Uh, I like when the, my team scores a lot of them. So yeah. And, and savvier coaches are already figuring out how to use downfield pick plays yeah. as it is. Yeah. It, 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 you know, Bel- Belichick is the master of the pick play. Yeah. And it, it's something that made Mike McCarthy's offense so effective uh, like pre twenty fifteen, um, yep. Because that's when they started to enforce these kind of pick rules. It was about twenty fifteen when this offense kind of started to stagnate for the first time. Uh, after that kind of Denver Broncos game, Carolina Panthers games in uh, twenty fifteen is kind of when we saw this offense fall apart. Um, this game finishes up with an Atlanta fumble. Um, on a situation where uh, the Falcons are running kind of a, a jet sweep guy in motion. Matt Ryan snaps the ball, and it bounces off of the guy in motion forward uh, into, like, the Green Bay, like, five- or six-yard line. Green Bay recovers. Um, the Packers would then punt on their next drive after killing a good amount of time from six minutes and 44 seconds down to two minutes and 44 seconds, um, they would punt. Atlanta would score a touchdown on a Justin Hardy pass from Matt Ryan. Um, and Matt Bryant would miss Matt Bryant would miss the PAT. Green Bay would run one or two plays. I think one play Deshaun Kaiser kneels. Um, and the game is over. That's our recap. Green Bay looked good in this game. Green Bay looked good in this game. They they cert they certainly look good on paper. Yeah, no, they looked. Hey, let me tell you, they look good in real live action, and also they look good when I'm rereading these play by play stuff on uh, on paper. Uh, in every way, I'm happy with this Green Bay Packers performance. I pulled up the box score. Jamal Williams did have four carries for 17 yards. That's good for a a 4.3 yards per carry average and a long of nine. To me, that is exactly what Jamal Williams should be doing for you as a running yeah. back. Meanwhile, Aaron Jones, 17 carries for 78 yards with with a touchdown on that one play that I got to see of this game. That's such a good use of the running backs. And 
Devontae Adams continues to uh, have just the best season of his career. Randall Cobb back. And, boy, if you use Randall Cobb effectively, he he isn't terrible. No. You know, he's the, the, the read on Cobb is that, like, he's not going to get open for you, especially in long-developing routes. And also, he's going to see the field six times a year. Yeah. At this point in his career, he just can't be healthy. Yeah, him, him, and the his contracts up at the end of this year. Clay Matthews' contracts up at the end of this year. That's a lot of cap space cleared. Um, I don't expect Randall Cobb to be back in a Packers uniform, um, but he'll he'll find a spot elsewhere. He's still got a he's got a few years. I certainly he, hope so. He's got a few years left yeah. in him. In like a, I think he man, Bill Belichick would have a heyday with Randall Cobb as a slot wide oh. receiver. And of course, if he's willing to play for a reduced salary, there's absolutely a role for him on the Packers. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It 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 just because I don't think I've seen anything from any of the three rookies that were brought in. I don't think I've seen anything that says like, okay, these guys are absolutely the answer at the moment. Yeah, I think it's either it's either Randall Cobb or another free agent signing to bring someone else in to do it. Yeah. I met someone interesting today in that I met this this uh, baseball job fair. I met a guy who works for a player agency out in Los Angeles. And just to, uh, to leave this guy anonymous, I'm not going to tell you who the agency is or who this guy is. Right. Not so much that he's going to like dish some dirt on this podcast, but just to be nice to him. But he was... His agency represents a fair amount of NFL players. And what he was, he asked me a sort of leading question of what do you think of the Aaron Rodgers contract? And my my answer to him was like, Aaron Rodgers is amazing. I, I love him. So pay him whatever dollars he needs to get. That's kind of in my position yeah. on it. And he was he was setting me up. Because as a businessman, he then asked me the follow-up question of like, well, if you look at the NFL right now, the teams that are having success are guys, are teams that are paying quarterbacks on a rookie scale. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, Jared Goff and the Rams, um, either, either Nick Foles or Carson Wentz with the Eagles, who are questionable whether or not they're having success. Sure. They had they're success actually, previously, uh, but yeah, now they're struggling. And and so he gave me this this trade off of like, wouldn't it be better for the Packers if they were paying a quarterback on a rookie scale and spending money on skill positions like these other guys? And you know, my counter, of course, was like, well, look at what Drew Brees and Philip Rivers, and maybe to a lesser extent like Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck are doing, yeah, this year as well. And I was just curious because I found that to be like. Probably the best conversation I've had in three days. Sure. As oh, as I'm out at this job fair. Oh. Like what your what your thoughts were on the idea of like the big the big high price quarterback who who monopolizes a good deal of your cap versus the rookie scale quarterback that lets you establish an offense and what you're seeing of that in the NFL this year. Yeah. So I think it's a good kind of conversation to have. I disagree. Uh, fundamentally with that idea because I do think what we see from free agents, I mean, think back 
for as long as you can remember in Green Bay Packers history, how many free agents have they signed that have been as good as the sticker price? Like two. Like two or three. Like Reggie White. Reg and Reggie Reggie White is both of them. Charles Woodson. Yeah, Woodson, of course. Uh, I think Jimmy Graham has lived up to it. I think he was on he was on pace before this kind of broken finger. Al Harris. Oh, Al Harris, yeah. Um but uh, free agents really hard to hit on. Rookies you're picking 7 of them. It's up to you to find for scheme, for potential. There's so much work and build up to that. There's basically a full year of build up of scouting, of interviews, of everything. I think it's a lot easier uh, and it's what we've seen from the Green Bay Packers run of sustained success. I mean, this has been 25 years now where the Green Bay Packers have been good based on this method. This is now one of two or three years in that span where the Packers have not been good. And really what it is, is it's a transitional year. It's very similar to me in my mind of kind of the Mike Sherman 2005 year transitioning between sure. two court, two head coaches. Uh, and so I think the idea of, yeah, if we paid Aaron Rodgers less, this team would have more money to spend on free agents elsewhere is a fine thought to have. Um, but where else is that money going? Um, sure. Because w- there's no guarantee that we're going to hit. There's no guarantee that we'd hit in. Uh, oh, no. Sorry, my phone fell. We're having a video conversation. It hit the keyboard, and it tried to restart our uh, uh, audition file. But we, I got it. Don't worry. Um, you got it. I got it. Don't All worry. Right. Uh, well, and, was there any gap in recording? No gap. Did it stop recording? No gap in recording. It just said, would you like to open a new file? And I said, no. No, please oh, don't. No, no, um, bad idea. <laughs> see, see where, where this conversation kind of fell apart for me is that he asked me, like, who do you think, like, overall has been the best quarterback in the NFL for the last decade? And the homer in me wants to say Rodgers, but the real answer is, it. oh, it's Tom Brady, actually. And, you know, that's that's neither here nor there, but like, I think it's Brady. Sure. Just in that, like, he, he's, won, he's won the big games, and his organization has done him better than the Packers organization has done Rodgers. Sure. But, you know, this this guy's point to me was that, like, well, Tom Brady takes a pay cut in order to help his team sign better players around him. And that, to me, was kind of the one, the one ideological point where, like, I am pro-labor to the point where I will never argue for a pay cut. Yeah, nope, 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 I, nope I do nope. not like the narrative of... Tom Brady has to take a pay cut in order to help his team. Because as we've talked about all season long, one of my big things is that Robert Kraft's a billionaire. Anything that, yeah, that's that. Robert Kraft can pay. Tom Brady makes $10 million. That's his pay cut. Anything that sows division between the low paid guys and the high paid guys on the team is obfuscating the fact that Robert Kraft is a billionaire. Yep is that Robert Kraft is a billionaire making billions of dollars every year on the New England Patriots uh, and can absolutely cover the $10 million Tom Brady is taking in a pay cut. Tom Brady has a 
wife who is a hundred millionaire who makes so much yeah. more money than him and is the richest supermodel on earth. So he can take pay cuts and not notice that difference. So that's the situation to me is that Aaron Rodgers is and should be building money for the future of his family and for himself and for the people that he surrounds himself with uh, and only has so long where he can be making $150 million from an NFL team. So he should take full advantage of it. And in my mind, there's no one else in the NFL that can single-handedly win games like Aaron Rodgers can and has. And the $15 million that we might allocate on two other players uh, that are going to be of mid-tier quality, not superb, but mid-tier. I mean, $8 million will get you a Bashad Breeland-level cornerback who is not elite, but is a solid number two. And the amount of solid number twos uh, that you get through free agency that are on Super Bowl-level teams, I just don't think that, that value equates uh, to Aaron Rod- the value that Aaron Rodgers adds to a team over a Jared Goff-type quarterback. I'm with, I'm with you as well, and as much as I like what Andy Reid has done with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, as much as I, I really like what the Rams have done, there is something to say of like, well, the Rams hope that their future is the current Packers squad. Yeah. No, it, it's in that these teams, they still have Jared Goff. They don't want to let him go. Yeah. And so they want they they would like to pay Patrick Mahomes six and a half billion dollars a minute. Yeah. No, it, eventually it's, in Kansas City. When Patrick Mahomes rookie contract is up, they're not going to say, all right, time to try again. That's nah. that's not how you build long term successful franchises, because the chances of you a hitting on a good rookie quarterback consistently is super rare, and b doing it every four years is not a symbol of uh, stability and consistency. No. That is what we're seeing is new. We're seeing a few teams that have been very bad in the past who were able to get one quarterback after trying a number of times (laughs) finally see success. And so the argument of, yeah, this year this is what's happening, but long-term, paying a good, all-time great quarterback great money uh, is the way to success because that's where you're going to win your games is with the ball in your quarterback's hands, not in the hands of a mid-tier $8 million a year guy that you're going to make up with the difference. Alex Smith is not going to cut it is what you're saying to me. Yeah. What I'm saying to you is that Alex Smith level quarterback play uh, is not going to cut it. Jared Goff level quarterback play might cut it for the next two years, but when the Rams have to sign him to an extension uh, and lose kind of those, outside players it doesn't mean anything average quarterback play not going to win you a super bowl yep i agree with you and stay stay tuned because this uh this guy was again this was the best conversation i've had out in vegas so far and it's just about the business of the nfl which is a, a hobby for me and a profession for him yeah so we're going to talk a little bit more about about this as we go on this was 
an actually good week in the NFL that I had to miss for uh, for business. The, yeah. the Titans beat the Jaguars 30-9 to because I was wrong about both of these teams, and the Titans are actually finishing really strong behind, uh, behind Derrick Henry. And meanwhile, the Jaguars have to start Cody Kessler because Bortles can't Bortle at the moment. So um, <laughs> that's... The Jaguars are now four and nine, and that that's awful. the uh, The Jets and Bills played the the irrelevance bowl, God. In, uh, up in Buffalo. Shout out, shout out to Joe Lorendi. Yeah, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he loved to see that. And also, I I gotta say, I do love the sort of sarcastic Twitter social media pushback right now of uh, of Josh Allen, who is. Revealing himself to be to be one of the more mobile and athletic quarterbacks out there right now. Yeah, there's a, there's this fun sarcastic thing of like that that really touches on I think sort of an institutional racism of the NFL saying, hey, why don't we move Josh Allen to a wide receiver? You know, he's just got those he he's got those those racist sort of dog whistle words that we've heard yeah uh, used without any sort of consequence for the last three or four decades in the NFL of like. He's just such a, a natural athlete. An athletic. He's an athletic freak. He's a, he's yeah, a gifted. Yeah, there, he's there a monster. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So I, I do appreciate that. And also, um, I, I think that, yeah, Josh Allen is probably going to end up. He was their, their leading rusher and passer. He had 300 yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns. <laughs> in a loss to the Jets. So that's the situation with the Bills right now is that their quarterback had 300 effing yards from scrimmage and they lost to the Jets at home. God, uh, moving so on. The, they're, they're garbage. Uh, the Browns beat the Panthers. The Panthers have lost five straight and it just proves that I am not the NFL analyst that you are looking for. Uh, <laughs> the Chiefs beat the Ravens. Uh, the Chiefs are 11-2. and two. They are undefeated. At home right now, uh, Patrick Mahomes went 35 of 53 for 377 yards and two touchdowns. Because this guy is just, I've called him the second coming all season. I'm not backing off of that in the slightest. The Dolphins beat the Patriots on a last second time expired play. That was one of my favorite highlights from this year. Insane. Just insane. Oh, so good. So good. Anytime the Patriots lose, I love it. Yeah. And when it happens on a last-second play to uh, the Dolphins down in Miami, makes it even better. Uh, Saints beat the Buccaneers because the Saints are good and the Buccaneers are bad. Um, The Giants beat the Redskins in the NFC version of Jets Bills. Yeah, no, and the Giants somehow are 5-8. and Uh, Can't believe that that's happened. Uh, the Colts beat the Texans. That's a, that that had to be a, the best game of the week, I think. The tight game is good. That I didn't get to see. Yeah, Luck Luck versus Watson had to be fantastic. Chargers versus Bengals. The the Bengals um, scored twenty one points and under quarterback I, Jeff just, Driscoll. Yeah. Ugh. That's that's awesome. That's great. I suppose the 49ers beat the Broncos. That's a that's a good home win for the 49ers against the uh, the Broncos. Nick Mullins showing that uh, he might he might deserve a look from another team. Yeah. Other than the 40, 49ers who probably don't have him in their future plans because they like gave a lot of that guaranteed money to Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Uh, the Cowboys beat the Eagles, and the Cowboys are 8-5. and five. They can lose their next three straight and have the most Jason Garrett record ever, which is 8-8. Eight and eight. The, uh, the Raiders beat the Steelers because something unpredictable needs to happen occasionally. The Lions beat the Cardinals because the Lions are better than the Cardinals by a small margin. And in the, uh, in the game that we all hear about because we live in Chicago, the Bears beat the Rams. Soldier Field, fifteen to six. I did get to see some of that game. Yeah, and I just, I still stand by like the fact that I called out Matt Nagy pretty hard. Yeah, in uh, in our Week One podcast, but what he has done since then is legitimately really impressive. Yeah, no, it, it's the Bears started the year not looking good and never finishing games, uh, and personnel usage looked a little bit wild and out of control, and Nagy's kind of honed it all in as the season's gone on. Their defense has gotten stronger. Uh, Trubisky, still bad, uh, but they're putting together something. Yeah, sh- shades of Rex Grossman yeah. in, oh. in Mitchell Trubisky. But He's quick, though. He yeah, the, run. the Bears really, the Bears have really, and the Bears were one of the examples that um, my agent friend used today of of like, look at what they're doing with with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback, and you now my response to that is that like they have they have sort of the perfect storm of a division in which the two presumptive favorites have played like absolute trash. Yeah, have fallen apart, and they're playing a very weak schedule. Admittedly, like defeating the Rams, who are now eleven and two, like that is very real. Yeah, I'm not taking that away from from Nagy and this squad. That was a great win. They played a really, really great football game, but the Bears have have found themselves the beneficiary of some other teams' demise this yeah. year. And you know that's the thing about it is, is that all's fair. You know, if you take advantage of it, more power to you. It's exactly what they're doing. The Seahawks beat the crap out of the Vikings, which I'm sure. I mean, Kirk Cousins is your leading passer in a game where the Seahawks win. Uh, Russell Wilson had 72 yards on a 10 of 20 performance. Jesus. It was through no touchdowns. It was intercepted once and was sacked twice. Yeah. It, and the Vikings didn't score until the fourth quarter. His team pulls out the win. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, John D. Filippo. Yeah, the, Vi- the Vikings have. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a firing kind of game because boy, my, my pick for the, the Super Bowl champion this year, the Vikings, have has really played out in a fun way. I mean, it's further proof that, like, you know, maybe don't come to me for your NFL predictions. Maybe I need to, like, you know, get in the gym a little bit and, like, up my prediction ability a yeah. bit. Hey. But it's it's been a strange year in the NFC North. And the Chicago Bears, who made just a blockbuster trade, have found themselves now with Khalil Mack on one side and Tariq Cohen on the other side and Matt Nagy calling some of the most absurd plays I've ever seen, taking advantage of a year in which the Packers are um, you know, not not relevant at the moment despite still being a playoff team, and the Vikings are 500 with a tie along the way. This is, this is a great year. Yeah, 5-7-1 and seven, one for the Packers. I had to double check to make sure they'd already made it to five wins because yeah, you know, we've been we've been in the mess and it doesn't feel like it at times. 
But yeah, props to the Bears. I just wanted to take five minutes on this podcast to just like they threw a touchdown pass on a play in which every eligible wide receiver was either an offensive or defensive lineman. It's insane. All right. Sure. Yeah. Do it. That's not that's not how you do it, but they did it. And that kind of thing, the thing about it is, is that unless you're Bill Belichick and you learn how to incorporate that into an offense as a sometimes food and not an everyday food, that has limited returns. So the thing with Nagy is that, like, yeah, he's been very impressive in the short term, but that kind of creativity, like, eventually, eventually you need to surround to surround that with like a really solid everyday kind of winning plan. Yeah. And that's the next challenge for him as much as, as much as his first year as ad coach has been just absolutely great. They've had some bad losses and, and yeah, it's that that's kind of a symbol of, of coaching and how they go forward. I mean, the first year in the NFL, we see it a lot with rookie head coaches and with like rookie quarterbacks and stuff is, Guys will have good first years, and the second year, now teams have tape on you. And now they know how to scout you. And that second year is always really hard. That second year is always really tough, and we see guys take steps back, full one or two leaps backwards in that second and third year once defensive coordinators and head coaches get enough tape to scout and game plan for you. Um, And I think another thing to look for in the future with the Chicago Bears is they don't have any first-round picks for a while. That's a lack of talent and fusion that you count on and depend on every single year uh, they lost in that Khalil Mack trade. Um, So we'll see how they fill some of the holes in the coming seasons, off-seasons, whether it's through late, late late-round draft picks or expensive free agents. We'll see how the Chicago Bears try and keep up with the the other teams in the division as they uh, fill their rosters with first-round talent. Um, Mike, do you have anything else? I want to leave you with one more stat before we close this out, and that is if you look up and down the NFL, there are two teams with losing records that have a positive point differential this season. The Green Bay Packers are one of them with a plus-eight point differential. Yep. And then the other one are the Denver Broncos with that same plus eight point differential. Wow. The Packers are five, seven, and one. The Broncos are six and seven. If you look at the way some of the things have broke for the Packers this year, yeah. six and seven is is a a very possible sort of uh yeah. sort of record. And also sitting at the top of the NFC North, the Chicago Bears have the same point differential at plus one hundred and twelve. As the Los Angeles Rams. Wow. The New Orleans Saints, the Kansas City Chiefs are the only two teams to have a higher point differential right now than the Chicago Bears. Wow. So um an, an unpredictable season. It's been we've joked that it's been a weird season to do an entire season run a podcast about the Green Bay Packers because they've been um, stinky. They they've been yeah, they've been a thing. But meanwhile, like like imagine, imagine a couple of guys up in Wisconsin, maybe doing a a uh, Chicago Bears in Wisconsin land yeah. style podcast. They're going for the first crazy. year, and imagine, oh, yeah. 
to uh to be them this year that would be a thing so i didn't see this game so you might have a better pick for head cheese head than i do yeah um i want to do offense and defense okay aaron Rodgers offensive um we saw right. a return to form for Rodgers, looking quickly decisive and accurate uh, as these rhythm throws kind of worked magic for him. Uh, and defensively, Bashad Breeland, that pick six was a game changer, and it came at a key point in time, and it put the game away in the second yeah. quarter for the Green Bay Packers. Those are my picks. Don't underestimate Bashad Breeland recovering a fumble on a situation where the Atlanta Falcons were trying to cut it to a 14-point lead with actual time left yeah. to go in the fourth quarter. So two-plus plays for Breland, yeah. who is going to be my my sort of every side pick yeah. for head cheese head. But, yeah, nice to see Aaron Rodgers. We talked about it last week. Like, I think, I think Aaron Rodgers received the message because firing Mike McCarthy was not just a message to Mike McCarthy. It was a message to everybody. Yeah. You will be held accountable. And, yeah, this this was this was an accountability game, and it's something that you have to build off of. So, uh, taking a look at what's uh, what's coming up for the Packers, it's been it's been a, an absolutely absurd, absurd, <laughs> absurd season so far. Uh, again, like start a podcast about the Green Bay Packers in 2018. Do it. Uh, they're going to going to Soldier Field next Sunday at noon. I'm gonna watch that one. Good. I'm going to give you just a, a assurance. Three games to finish out the season at Bears, at Jets versus the Lions. Um, I don't care about the math at this point. I just want to see like three more games where the players on the Packers play up to not even their best selves, but their average selves. Yeah. I just want to see and, and put yeah, just want to just want to see the effort like they, they put forth this Sunday and um you know, the wins come from that. Yeah, that sort of effort and and focus. So that's all I want to see. Yeah, same thing for me. I just want to, I just want to see see a team that goes out and plays hard. Uh, we didn't really we haven't really seen that over the last few weeks of Mike McCarthy's tenure. Um, and this introduction to the Joe Philbin time, uh, was an exciting point. It, it there was a lot of effort and guys were playing hard and it was uh, it was fun to watch. And Joe Philbin just a perfect opportunity for him in that. You talk about who's the candidate to take over the Packers head coaching job. The one name I haven't heard bandied about is Joe Philbin. Yeah. Who admittedly his time in Miami went very poorly, but also like if you take a look at the Miami Dolphins, you know, they, they are very negatively regarded amongst the NFL. They have bad management talked about them. They have bad ownership. They have bad management. They, make very questionable personnel decisions. They have one of the most toxic reputations in the NFL. So mm -hmm. I think Joe Philbin is getting a four game audition as far as like what he can do as the head coach of the Packers. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's it. I'm going to go off to Lotus of Siam, which is regarded by some people as the best Thai restaurant in America. Oh man. What are you going to oh, get, man. you know? I have no idea. They, I wish they did. This is a very Chicago dining hipster thing of me to say. 
at the end of this podcast, but sure. I wish they did a tasting menu. Yeah, no. So sure. I could just like sit down and have them bring me bring me foods, but I have to make some sort of decision. That's uh, this restaurant is in demand. I managed to get a nine o'clock reservation on a Tuesday. That was the only open slot when I was looking for reservations on Saturday. Wow. To this restaurant. And if I am five minutes late, they will give my table to someone else. Holy cow. Yeah, so uh, so cross your fingers that I get in the Uber on time. Yeah, no. Show up 15 to, minutes to go experience early. This. Yeah, really. So that's that's what I'm up to here in Las Vegas. We'll be back most likely in the same room next week for Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about what could end up being the best game of the season. Um, this game's at noon on Fox. I'm still curious to see if they don't flex this thing to Sunday night. Yeah. It's a good game. Uh, Packers Bears is a is a good one regardless of the storylines, which are are currently writing themselves. Which are a plentiful. The Bears have the opportunity to clinch the NFC North over the rival Green Bay Packers in Chicago in snowy, blistery Soldier Field on a Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah, no, Chicago could explode or could wither away. Who knows? That's good stuff. Uh, the NFL is good even when it's bad. That's yeah. <laughs> that's been my I feeling for many years now. Yeah. Yeah, even when it's cold and reheated and and vastly unfair to labor, it's still good. Mega corporation pizza. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. This is very much degenerated into a conversation, so I'm going to turn it back into a podcast. Uh, We're on Twitter at Cheesecagoland. I'm on Twitter at MP Fleischman. Uh, Matt's on Twitter at Melumsetter. We want to thank Anchor.fm for being a good podcast host that has made it really easy for us to do this. If if you like music, I'm on SoundCloud at MP Fleischman or Overnight Mike is my name there. I've been recording a lot of music in my basement. I'm not going to claim that it's good, but I'm happy with the way it's been sounding recently. So check me out on SoundCloud if you want to. Overnight Mike is my name there. It's a... it's just the thing I do when I have any free time. I just go down to my basement and play music. Um, you are the program director of Radio DePaul Sports. The Christmas break is in effect, but you're coming back in January stronger than ever. Yep. We will be. So make sure to check out Radio DePaul Sports. There, it's And if you're a fan of the DePaul Blue Demons basketball men's or women's yeah. team, all of the home games are broadcast on Radio DePaul Sports and – I really think that it's the best place to uh, to check that out. Yeah, no, because uh, it's a free it's a free internet way to listen to the DePaul Blue Demons, who are at least on the women's side, just a continually great team. So, Radio DePaul Sports is very huge. Make sure to check them out. Um, I'm just randomly plugging stuff now, but that is going to do it for episode 26 of this podcast. Week 14 25. of the regular season is in the books. That's 26 because what? last last week's episode was 25, but I labeled it as 24 because I'm I'm super ah. good at um at clerical work. Yeah. So there were two episodes of 24. I changed that today. Okay, cool. As I was uh as I was sitting in a conference room in the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino. So uh, yeah, this is episode 26. Cool. Good. And 
at the end of episode 26, as we've done for uh, for 25 episodes previous, uh, Matt Mellum said, what the heck, after a win, after win number one for Joe Philbin as a Green Bay Packers head coach, what should people be doing? Staying cheesy, baby. All right. 